Welcome to Sports Performance Radio, the science of athletic excellence. This is a Sports Performance Radio Extra. Welcome to the latest Sports Performance Radio Extra. I am your host, B. Chavez, and as always, I very much want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in again this month. Just a quick point that I did say extra. This is the extra show, and it is exactly that. It is the extra information, news, thoughts, things that simply didn't fit in the full SPR Sports Performance Radio show. I found this a very good way to separate the two, making the uh, SPR shows a bit, give, giving them a bit more continuity and streamline flow and a place that I can still deliver some news and thoughts and that sort of thing. So, as I said, this is the extra show. And uh, with that, I have a number of trivial little extras to hit you with. And then uh, the show will close with a pre recorded uh, piece that I did on training volume. So we'll close with a discussion on training volume. Uh, Also, with that training volume comes the concept of the continued concept of proper language in sports performance. Uh, And and not even sports performance, but science at large, the world at large. If your language is not precise, your thoughts are not precise. So uh, my hope is, on top of bringing you thoughts on training volume and you know what it is and what you can do with it and how you can modulate it and what you need to be aware of. I also want to bring you the thoughts of streamlining and honing and perfecting your language so that when you think something in your mind or when you say something to another person, it is exactly what you intend it to be. So that the thought can be carried to its conclusion rather than meandered around because everyone, yourself included, is on a different page. So precision in language, common language, is the, is the theme of science, and training volume is a very important subject in strength training and sports performance. So uh, I, I think you'll get a little bit out of that piece. It's why I'm bringing back some of these older pieces. Um, I think they have a lot of value. So I hope you enjoy that. And as I said, just a couple of simple little news pieces, the biggest and most important of which is, I suppose, we're coming into the 2016 Summer Olympics, and there's just a, simply an endless stream of doping scandals and and stuff and then of course you've got the city is probably not ready the buildings are not finished um the the crime is out of control we've got the zika virus that maybe is or maybe isn't dangerous we've got uh bacterially infected waters off the coast of brazil and possibly even in the drinking water and so the olympics are a fiasco so i try not to focus on that side of it and i try to focus just on the athletes um of course we've got the big russian doping scandal which culminated the last week uh, 10 days ago uh with essentially every single member of the russian Uh, track and field team, save one. And I don't know why I really haven't been able to track down information, but one female uh, short track runner is in fact allowed. But essentially the entire Russian uh, track and field team is now banned. So that's a pretty big hit. I don't have any idea, you know, what that's going to do to the landscape. I don't think on a track and field level in the core events, they would have been that competitive. Anyway, they do have some really good, uh, you know, the pole vaulting, triple jumping, they do have some really good, especially females in that realm. So that would probably, that will definitely change the landscape, but it's it's still strange. I strongly believe that 
the fact that they just suddenly have been able to prove all these failures. And uh, it, it just seems to me like uh, there was probably some sort of behind the scenes deal uh, that expired. And uh, on on expiration, whoever was uh, rubber stamping the pass fail no longer motivated to stamp the uh, the pass. So I, that's what I think it is. Um, could be that you know technologically somehow they just started pulling this off, but I, I, I think it's very shady. So um, and again, th- these Olympics are going to be such a fiasco. I just don't know that it has that big of a, uh, an impact. Um, Olympic news also a small piece of news uh the 100 meter great uh hussein bolt has announced rather spontaneously that he has a very severe hamstring injury and probably will not be able to compete in brazil um when dealing with 100 meter people and hamstring that's usually code for uh i need an excuse why i can't compete because i can't pass the drug test uh, usually the hamstring is the international. It's like the boxer and the broken hand. Uh, oh, no, I can't fight. I have a broken hand. I train too hard. Um, that's usually what the hamstring thing is. These guys are really, and girls, are just really, really high-performance athletes, really well-tuned, really well um, adapted to their sports. Um, hamstring injuries, 10, you know, 10 weeks or less out from a major event, Pretty unlikely, truthfully, pretty unlikely. Uh, I know it was the, uh, I know it was in reference or in response to his performance at the uh, Jamaican Games, but still, I suspect uh, it's more likely it's some uh, under the under the hood aspect more than it is an actual hamstring injury. Because even if the hamstring, in, if there was an injury, I mean, barring a truly catastrophic injury, there's still enough time to recover and. Uh, as good as he is, he would still be a top 500 meter guy, uh, even 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 gimped. So I suspect it's probably something other than the actual injury. But again, that's only a suspicion. And we may find that he winds up competing anyway. It could simply be strategy or uh, preemptive something or the, 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 the end. The possibilities are endless. So we'll definitely keep an eye on that. Hey, shut up and listen. Another point or something I want to mention, just just a, a little blurb, we'll call it a little blurb, is um, powerlifting great Edward Ignatius Cohn um, has much to, uh, much to my fanfare, much to, uh, to, to my joy, has been becoming ever more and more uh, visible and vocal. He's doing, uh, he's got a website, he's got a line of t-shirts, uh, you know, he not terribly long ago put out a book, but he's really beginning to promote that book. And uh, most relevant to me, he's doing a lot of podcasts. Um, I can say with a straight face, I have not contacted him to do mine, although I really should, and it's poor of me not to. However, all the different podcasts, I say all, I probably am not aware of all, but I've followed him on all of the major podcasts, which he's done, and I've listened to them. And uh, one, I think that the material they cover is just very inane and nonsensical. And um, I just don't think people really use him as the resource that he that he is and that he can be. And, and lastly, and this is the part that really bothers me, and it could just be my personal bad temperament and uh, disdain of just people coming through, but I sincerely get a sort of condescension 
Um, people, people, people introduce him, and they're all oh, the greatest of all time. The twenty four hundred pound total, a two forty two, and single ply gear, and they're just the greatest of all time, greatest of all time, greatest of all time. But then the interview goes very much like, "Wow, how did you get that good with such dumb fucking training? How did you? Wow, no boxes, no bands, no." briefs no multiply gear no monolift how they don't actually ask how but you can hear the unasked question of how did that happen how's that possible i'm way smarter i do all this clever goofy fucking west side nonsense how how could you have a better total than me you can hear as the conversation progresses this almost disbelief and confusion that almost always ends with this well it was a different era it was a different time well it was. It was a more honest time. It was a time when people actually had to fucking work to get the progress. When people couldn't just buy an extra layer of bullshit to get a bigger total. Um, I just, and, and again, I say this could be just my perception, because the whole time Ed just smiles and speaks calmly and seems to just receive and conceive no offense. And, and, I, and I know that Ed's a goddamn good-hearted man. I know that he is uh, just a really well- temperamented and, and comfortable human being, partly because he is the fucking greatest that's ever walked the earth. That that tends to put one at ease, I think. Um, I, I don't know personally, but I, I suspect that would make one comfortable in their skin, um, You know, knowing that out of the seven billion people that walk the planet, you are singular. Um, but I just, I really find these conversations funny. I just, I hear a subtext of, you know, just almost this this condescension, just what an outlier, like just, wow, I don't even know why I'm talking to him, because none of this shit will have anything to do with me, I'm going to go conjugate, you know, just, it's, I find it really annoying, and, 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 and almost, almost disgusting, um, and I'm, I'm curious if I'm alone on that, so any of you, any of you out there are hearing this, and are, are aware of what I'm speaking of, and have seen any of these interviews, go ahead, send me a message, let me know if you, you hear what I hear, because I often do wonder if I'm just, uh, just angry and curmudgeon. I, I, I do wonder that at times. So anyway, that, that's a, kind of its own little island of thought, and I'll, I'll leave it at that. Perhaps we'll come back to it at a later date. And now, some more crazy shit. The last little news bit I want to cover is troubling. It's, anno- eh, it's not troubling. Troubling's the wrong word. It's uh, aggravating, for sure. Um, annoying and pathetic. It, it truly is pathetic. Um, those of you that don't know, and all my, I think probably at this point all my listeners do, my previous posting, my previous job in the world of internet podcasting was with my good friend Mike Johnston at the RX Muscle Power Hour, the RX Power Hour. And it, of course, was hosted by RX Muscle. Um, I am very pleased and proud to say that I had personally nothing to do with RX Muscle. Uh, my good friend and host of that show, Mike Johnston, did all the liaison, all the liaising between RX and us. I simply put together material and came on the show. I had nothing to do with them. Uh, I just uh, couldn't stomach having anything to do with them. And I had great reservations even joining a show that was uh, attached to RX Muscle. But I had great respect and, and great friendship with Mike, and he assured me that it would be fine. And, and it was, and I took his, and I want to emphasize that, you know, I took his word for it, and I, I trusted the man that much. So, And we put on a good show. I think we did a good show, and it was, um, you know, well-received and got good ratings and that sort of thing. And um, But anyway, the, the moral of the story, at least this part of the story, is that 
the reason I had such reservations dealing with RX Muscle is because every fucking time I hear Dave Palumbo open his mouth, I'm just horrified at how bizarre and inaccurate and incomplete and biased and just generally douchebaggish um, the things that he says are. It, it, it's, it's appalling to me. I, I search the internet for material for the show and, and, and for other reasons. Um, you know, I deal, I deal with a fleet of clients and I'm, I'm always trying to be up on things because people invariably ask me about, oh, did you see so-and-so's commentary on so-and-so or on such-and-such? And I like to at least pretend like I'm paying attention. And uh, in truth, I don't. I, I'm a little bit guilty of, of something that I, I criticize other people for, and that is I, I really block out an enormous portion of the, the world, and I pay attention to the people that I think are truly of value, and that does at times limit me and, and possibly negatively impact me, but nonetheless, as a rule, I block out all things RX because I just really think it is incredibly low caliber, incredibly low value. That being said... Not terribly long ago, I saw a video uh, with it with insulin in the title. It was um, insulin madness, insulin mayhem, fuck insulin. I don't know. It was it was insulin based, and it was it produced by RX Muscle, and it was predominantly Dave Palumbo. I think uh, John Romano was actually involved in it too, but I don't believe he really said particularly much. And uh, because it's insulin, and that is kind of one of my pet things and my pet subjects, and very very relevant to things people ask me on a nearly daily basis, I tuned in and I watched this video. And, um, I don't know, 90 seconds into it, I was ready to swallow cyanide. Two minutes into it, I, I was literally uh, just appalled. Just uh, uh, absolutely, unabashedly appalled. I won't go into all the stupidity and what I think is probably outright lying. Um, Dave Palumbo basically took credit for, you know, the early pioneerings of insulin. And, and I was... Uh, involved in the sport and uh, even involved with some of the people that I thought were the pioneers of insulin in sports. And uh, Dave Palumbo was nowhere in sight. Um, they did rightly mention that uh, I think John Romano actually rightly mentioned that um, one of the earliest mentions that I'm aware of of, of insulin in sports is uh, the bodybuilder Tim Belknap. And uh, that was because he was a clinical diabetic and had no choice but to take insulin. But being clever and uh, experimental and, and to some degree even reckless, he was able to use insulin as a performance-enhancing aid on top of a, a life-saving, life-supporting aid that it, it was for him. So, But beyond that, I really thought that kind of the story of insulin they put forward was really uh, sketchy and bogus and didn't line up at all with the history that I'm aware of. Um, but that is a separate thing, and I really won't take issue with it because it's something that's so far in the past, it's very hard to prove or support, and uh, I just won't even make um, any issue about that, except that I will say that uh, it didn't jive with what I believe to be accurate. Um, having said that, the, the actual meat and potatoes, the actual material presented was just tragically bad, just tragically bad. Um I don't know how many times I should have counted in this talk, Mr. Palumbo refers to insulin as a storage hormone. Um, if you've been to high school, much less medical school, um, you should be pretty aware that insulin is, in fact, not a storage hormone. A clinical biologist, um, I can say reasonably uh, succinctly that um, storage is not a biological imperative. It's not something that creatures typically want to do. Um, survival on a biological level is typically predicated by speed or stealth. 
uh, both of which don't require storage. You don't want a big, vast, bloated creature. You typically want nimble and svelte. You want to be able to hide or move quickly. Uh, that is not concurrent with storage. Uh, storage is is just not a biological process of, of positive impact. Typically, there's exceptions. There is, in fact, exceptions. I won't get into that because it's a long, complicated biology-slash-evolutionary lesson. But, for instance, as a real quick for instance, um, fruits. Typically, fruits. Um, berries, uh, apples, peaches, those sorts of things, typically come into fruition. They, they, they ripen. The harvest is available in the fall. Okay? That's a wonderful time to instigate storage because you're about to move into lean times. It's going to get cold. There's going to be less available food. So animals and even humans who are nothing but animals with shoes um, typically would eat these sweet, sugary, fructose-laden fruits. Fructose, fruit, fruit, clever, same language. Ah, pay attention to language always. See, they would consume these fructose-laden items and it would instigate a series of events that would culminate in some storage of body weight and body fat that they could live on through the winter, survive toward the warmer weather where there's more plentiful food. So there is a storage component that hides in there, but it's not a storage hormone. No, not at all. It is a regulatory hormone. Again, the consequence of regulation can, in fact, and even some often is, some storage. But it's not there for the purpose of storage. It's there for the purpose of regulation. Whatever steps are necessary to regulate your blood sugar. Real high blood sugar, you die. Your blood gets too thick and you fucking die. That's bad. You must regulate it. Blood sugar gets too low, you go into a coma and die. That's bad. So it is very imperative that physiology regulate plasma substrates. It's very imperative that your blood sugar remain reasonably constant. That is a regulation issue. And ironically and comedically and fucking tragically, two sentences later, he refers to the opposing family of hormones and really fails to mention that it's a family of hormones. But nonetheless, that's a, a fine hair that I would split personally, because I think that specifics count. But anyway, he refers to the opposing family of hormones as counter-regulatory. He rightly calls them counter-regulatory. Well, if they're countering regulation, what the fuck does the other one do? It does the regulation. It's not storage. It's not counter-storage hormones. It's counter-regulatory hormones, meaning that insulin is a regulatory hormone. You don't need to know science. You don't need to say that you went to medical school. You don't need... You just need to speak the same fucking language, okay? This is simple. This is something that literally a seventh grader should be able to follow along. Seriously, if you have even a mild command of any language much less the English language. That should not slip by you. You should point at that and go, what the fuck did he just say? And that doesn't make sense. Okay? So I am, in fact, criticizing him, but more importantly, public listeners, you people out there, I'm criticizing you. You need to pay attention, okay, to me and to everyone else. And when these sorts of blaring, glaring, obvious, embarrassing fucking errors are spoken aloud, you need to point at them. You need to draw circles around it, big arrows. You need to mail it to people and show people because that shit is ridiculous. Okay? 
you know, I'm not promoting the use of insulin, I'm promoting the use of anything, but I am very much promoting rational, sensible, educated information in reference to anything and everything. And uh, this particular video that I'm referencing just isn't that. It's shameful. And for some reason, people just seem to put just such a really big hat, uh, much like the Catholic Church. You know, the more important you are, the bigger the hat. And this asshole just seems to be given the biggest hat in the house. And it's uh, it's embarrassing. It's shameful. And I'm, I'm, almost, I'm almost ashamed to be part of it. I'm ashamed to be kind of in the same group and swim in the same pool. It's 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 really bad. But uh, anyway, enough bashing. Um, insulin is not a storage hormone. Insulin is not evil. It is used by vast portion of high-level athletes, and uh, it will continue to be so, and most of them are not fat from storage. Um, they are, in fact, well-regulated, I guess we could say, but uh, enough of that. I'll leave that alone from now for now. And uh, we're going to run a couple ads, and then you're going to hear, as I said, a pre-recorded talk on training volume. And I will see you, or at least speak to all of you, on the first of the month for Sports Performance Radio and a little note on that particular show, the August 1st, 2016 Sports Performance Radio, episode number 011, will in fact be our one-year anniversary. So I hope to have something a little bit special, have a little bit extra in the show, as it were. So I will see everyone, or as I said, speak to everyone then. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the rest of the show. Evil Genius Sports Performance is now accepting a limited number of new clients. If you would like a consult, please email via the Team Evil GSP website. Hi everyone, it's B. Chavez from Evil Genius Sports Performance. I'd like to welcome you back to the Evil Genius Sports Performance video blog. Uh, I believe this is volume four. Uh, I've been gone for a little bit. For that, I apologize. Um, in the last few, we've been talking about common language, about developing language that we can all speak so that we can all communicate seamlessly and systematically. Um, something that's very vital to the to the evil genius way of doing things. Um, it's very vital that people in different countries and different languages and different everything can agree on terms. You know what intensity is. I think that's what we covered in the last episode. Intensity is percent of maximum. So no matter where you are or who you're talking to, if you say intensity, you're talking about the same thing, and uh, that's going to make our discussions about a seamless, coherent sports performance program much easier. Uh, it's the power of science. It's the why you know science is called the international language. Uh, it's because everyone agrees on what things are. When you say temperature or force or you know, whatever you use in a scientific context, it means the same thing everywhere. Uh, universal terms. That's what we're shooting for here. Uh, I think it's the one thing that has been missing in athletics and sports performance. Is is every brand has their own secret language and as soon as you leave that brand you know you go from a west side model to some other model you have to learn a whole new language and, and that's not the way it should be in my opinion uh, so again with common language um, we've covered some of the key aspects uh, today we're going to talk briefly and uh, actually it's going to be briefly even though it's probably the most important term in all of sports performance and that is volume um, again we said intensity is percent of maximum via the Pretty much the uh, the Eastern Europeans, the Russians, and so had uh, defined that most coherently, uh, and also they had coincidentally the best concept on 
volume. Uh, this is something I hear misused all the time, and, and even I do it occasionally. You know, I'll, I'll say at the end of my heavy sets of, you know, my, my pyramid up to my heavy set, um, you know, at the end I'll say, oh, I'll do a little volume. That's not right. That's not correct. Um, it's correct in that a set of reps is volume, but it's not really a good use of the term. And, uh, and I, I don't like to do that, but I, I find myself doing it. I've caught myself on video doing that a couple times, and it's, it's not cool. Volume, via the Eastern European model, is the total amount of weight one lifts in a session. Okay. Whether you do it in singles, or whether you do it in sets of 10, or whether you do one giant set, it's if the barbell is loaded to 100 pounds, okay, and you lift it one time, you did 100 pounds of volume. If you lift it 10 times, you did 1,000 pounds of volume. It's the total no amount of weight on the bar. That's how much times lifted. It's very, very simple. It is a super simple concept, which is why this talk is going to be brief. However, it is the most important, or possibly the most important, in that all the major studies correlate total training volume with training success. Okay? And I say training success because I didn't say success in strength training or maximum lifts or anything, because it consistently follows in all sports. He who hits the most baseballs in practice, for the most part, hits the most baseballs in games. He who swings the most serves in tennis practice tends to serve best in tennis games, tennis matches. Volume, training volume, incorporates practice at one skill, if you're practicing properly, live practice. So he who does the most tends to perform the most, most efficiently on the field. So training volume in me being a power lifter is really just squat, bench, and deadlift. Um, you know, if you're an Olympic lifter, it's, you know, clean and jerk and snatch. The point is, the, roughly speaking, the more you do, the better you are. Okay, this has even been followed through in bodybuilding. Generally speaking, bodybuilders who do the most volume tend to have the largest, most effective muscle for their, for their sport. Volume seems to be the key issue. Okay. Now, it's not as simple as that, particularly in powerlifting, strength training. It's also average intensity. Intensity, as we defined, was a maximum ability. Okay. If you can only bench press 400 pounds, then that's 100% intensity, and everything below that is a percentage thereof, 300%. 300 pounds is 75%, so on, so on. Pretty simple concept. So now we've got this concept of volume, which is the amount of weight one lifted total, okay? And then we've got the blended concept of average intensity, which really for strength athletes seems to be the issue. If you're a baseball player or something like that, you can't talk training volume and intensity because you either swing the bat or you don't. Uh, the concept of weighted bats and all that, I'm not going to go into that because it's really bad business, bad motor function, bad motor learning. But So if you have a maximum bench press of 400 pounds and you, know, you choose to train, let's say, a relatively high velocity, low intensity, say 50%, pretty simple math, you've got a 200-pound barbell, so now every repetition you do is 200 pounds. And it's like putting pounds in a bank. You do one, that's 200 pounds. And you do another one, that's 400 pounds. And so on to a volume, to a target training volume. And the subject can be very complicated. The Eastern Europeans concluded that uh, more advanced athletes tend to be able to tolerate more volume, uh, so much so that they could actually categorize athletes as to far as 
intermediate, advanced, etc., by the amount of training volume they could do, and they even projected training volume. They said, you, as a intermediate athlete, need to strive for 25% more total training volume. And because the term was well understood, because the language was well understood, um, athletes knew exactly what that meant. They knew what they needed to strive for. They knew what they were trying to do. Um, not let the bar load fall below, in, in the European model, probably 70%, and achieve a total volume of 22,000 pounds or whatever it was. So you've got this concept of volume. It's not just randomly throwing repetitions at the end of a workout. It is a concept of the total amount of weight lifted uh, after warm-ups in your workout. How much weight did you lift? Roughly speaking, the more weight you lifted, as long as it's above a given threshold intensity, and that's an argument for a separate video. There's a lot of people that think that different target intensities relate to different sports. For instance, bodybuilding probably shouldn't exceed a 65% intensity and powerlifting shouldn't uh, decline below a given intensity and for sprinting and, and true speed sports, um, you know, maybe as intensity is as high as 90%. Um, I tend to agree with that somewhat. I don't necessarily agree with the exact numbers that are out there, but I do tend to believe that, you know, the practice relates very strongly to performance and you have to practice very similar to your task you're going to perform on the field of play. So in that, it's true. I also do believe in periodization where you do periods that don't necessarily relate to your sport. Um, you know, as a powerlifter, I think that doing some quasi-bodybuilding type training in the offseason to elevate one's total body mass, um, you know, to tend to smooth out weaknesses, improve weak body parts, I think makes you a better athlete in the long term when you go to periodize toward an event. But again, that's a separate video. But right now, we're just trying to define the term intensity. We talked about that's percent of maximum. And then volume is very specifically the total amount of weight lifted in a workout. Uh, just knowing that and just recording that based on what you're doing already can give you wild insights into why what you're doing is working and why what you're doing maybe isn't working. So consider it training volume in the Eastern European model, and of course in the Evil Genius Sports Performance model, is total weight lifted per workout. Think about it, consider it, look at it. Um, you should definitely be keeping a training journal. So just go through there and, and look at what you're doing, and it will probably make some lights go off, some bells and whistles, and you'll begin to see different things working. Um, even within different exercises, you might see you have a tendency toward doing or not doing volumes within exercises. Um, your total volume definitely relates to your total fitness. All of these things, very, very powerful tool. Consider it, um, you know, we'll come back to this subject and we'll begin to really integrate, you know, training volume, training intensity, and we'll, in the future, we'll talk about training frequency, and then we'll have the tools to create an integrated total sports performance program, which is what Evil Genius Sports Performance is about. It's an integrated whole, it's nutrition, it's training, it's athletic endeavor, if that's what you do. Um, again, being a powerlifter, pretty much lifting weights is my athletic endeavor. But I realize that most of you out there are probably you know, football, basketball, soccer, hockey, lacrosse players. All of you have to think about these things. And then also, covering all of that, training volume takes an inroad into your total athletic ability. So if you're training for a sport, 
you may have to modulate your volume against your training season, which is where the concept and the talk about periodization is going to come in. So again, training volume, total amount of weight lifted, or if you're an athlete, total amount of bat swings, total amount of you know, goals kicked. It's total training volume. It's the total amount one does in a session. And when I say in a session, I mean in a workout, in a week's workouts, in a month's workouts, in a total training cycle. So think about these things, consider them. We'll talk more about more training concepts and we'll begin to put them all together into a whole in the next vi video. Until then, please like the video, dislike the video, leave your feedback, talk. Evil Genius Sports Performance is all about communication. I want to hear from you. Um, other people want to hear from you. Okay, More dialogue, more communication means more ideas, more thoughts. And the more thoughts, the more we can conquer these things. Uh, I don't have all the answers. I have a lot of the questions. Um, if we can get together, communicate, synchronize, we can make better athletes. You can be better. I can be better. I want to see the 1,200-pound squats. I want to see the 1,000-pound raw squats. These are things we can do. We just talk about it, train hard. We can get on with it. It's going to be great. Until next time, B. Chavez, Evil Genius Sports Performance. Stay strong. Don't forget to sign up for the SPR and Evil Genius Sports Performance newsletter via the Team Evil GSP website. Thank you for listening to Sports Performance Radio.